0: I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital Endure. I don't
1: know what that is, so let's find out.
0: It does have a lasting impact on society.
1: Like, if you're going to profit off of a community, you need to serve that community.
0: All right, welcome back, guys. All right, my next guest, different time zone, like six, seven hours ahead. So I appreciate this. She's pretty badass. She was named Adweek Young Influences. 2022. She was campaign publication future leader 2022. I'm sure you have tons of other awards you didn't tell me about, but you also enjoy doing uh, nerdy courses like concrete casting. You can even be found on stage at a local pub in the UK. So if you're ever over the pond, she's dropping jokes over there. My new friend, head of voice at Grey London, B Pankey. Great to have you, my friend.
1: Nice to be here. Thanks so much for having
0: me. Yeah, for sure. And you're like a pro. You're always well set up and you have a legit microphone. So you sound great and it's great to have you. So you're young and you have some pretty significant awards here. So I want to jump right into that. I know you're a very humble person. You're, you're definitely one of those people that are very much team first, but I would love to just know how it felt being a young rock star in the industry and winning these awards that are, are pretty significant in the advertising space specifically.
1: Um, to be honest, it's kind of weird. Uh, they take me by surprise every time. I I always have it to do this as long as my arm at all times when there's a lot about the world that I wanna I wanna change and I believe that we have a lot of power in our industry and so I'm always very conscious of that and trying to utilize it in the best way possible. I'm always thinking about the next thing that I need to do and the next thing that I need to get done. So when for the adweek young Influentials, was when they contacted me and said, I was on this list. I was really like, Huh? Are you sure? Really? Like it completely throws me And my my friends and coworkers here I'll be like, I, I don't really know how or why I'm on that list. And they're like, Well you do all of this great stuff but I I think I I think probably a flaw of mine is that I don't stop to take in and like look back. I'm too busy looking forward at everything else I need to do. So I never really take stock of of what's happened. So it mostly just feels really weird. Yeah. But, it, but good way, good
0: way. Yeah, it's great. And look, that's that's why you graced us on this podcast. We're, we're constantly always looking for obviously new topics, which we're going to dive deep into because um, your title alone, head of voice, just has so much power, especially in today's world. But kind of taking a step back, how you got started, you've been a, and still are a lot of these things script writer, you were a London music reporter, you were a trustee and copywriter, you're a writer that journey so kind of give us give us like the 30 second one minute version of of your
1: journey i'd say my my journey has almost always had as a constant in it both curiosity and not knowing what on earth i'm i'm gonna do or that i am doing i'm from a very um i'm the only one in my family who's been to university we're a very uh working class family and everyone in my family has very normal jobs i'm not from london and um, everyone is an electrician. My, my dad's an electrician. My uncle's a plumber. Um, I've got a cousin who's a mechanic. Everyone does very normal jobs. They work in warehouses. They work as, you know, in the hospital as receptionists. Um, and I got into university and my dad said, okay, so what are you going to study? And I said, creative writing. He was just that I can't believe the one of us is going to university and she's going to go do this made-up course that like what are you going to do with a degree in creative writing what on earth are you going to do for a living um and I said I don't know but I'll figure it out I'm sure there'll be something someone has to write the words so I've always kind of gone into everything with this attitude of I don't know what that what that is so let's find out like everything I'm, I'm curious about everything I want to know how everything works and Every opportunity that came my way when I was at university, I took, which is why I did lots of very random things at university. And I, I kind of found my footing in the brand writing space and brand language and tone of voice, specifically, really was my kind of passion and my niche. And then so I went through lots of different agencies that focused on on branding specifically. But grey is quite a um, it comes out of the left field for me because it's advertising rather than branding. I've never done that before. Um, I was a bit hesitant to take the job at first, but one of the reasons that I took it is because it was another thing where I went, well, I didn't know how that works. So yeah. let's go find out.
0: Yeah. And I think that I would say that copywriting and especially on the branding side of things, it's one of the most underappreciated art forms, right? 100%. So the creative folks always win and it's like, oh wow, look at this beautiful creative ad, this beautiful creative, you know, TV commercial radio spot, but tone and yeah. phrase and it's on brand really allows the human mind to be more imaginative than just looking at a a solid piece of creative. And I'm not knocking my creative folks, but I just feel like folks like you in this very specialized world just aren't given the credit that's deserved.
1: Yeah, I've always um, said, I'm, I'm incredibly biased, obviously, as a writer, but I've always said that I think visuals create a gut reaction. We get a kind of gut emotion from visuals, but it's the words that we read, that we form a connection with the words that we read that we actually bond with and form a relationship with and and last longer than just that kind of gut feeling, I think anyway.
0: Yeah, so head of voice. Touch on that because before Gray London, you were at an agency and you kind of ended up in this head of voice role. Talk to our our listeners a Mm. little bit about what head of voice means and talk about the evolution of what Grey is, you know, being a UK based agency, obviously being in the US as well.
1: Yeah, so before Grey I was at an agency called Dragon Rouge, a branding and packaging agency and my role there was head of voice as well. Before that I was at a branding and digital agency and my role there was copy lead for brands and when Dragon Rouge approached me about a potential role there, I think originally they had in mind creative director for language as as the kind of role and the title but they had heard about me kind of through the industry and, and wanted to have a chat with me about, about the way I work and my approach to, to language and, and branding and all of these different parts of, of our universe. And when I explain that, you know, I get very frustrated at how we, on our side of the fence, we silo and segment and portion up our clients and our brands within an introvert life, right? We have our We have our strategy department. We have our branding agency, our creative agency, we have visual identity, uh, language identity, we have the user experience, we have the website, we have, we portion it up into all of these tiny, tiny little slivers of a cake. So the truth is that consumers don't consume our brands like that. Mm-hmm. Consumers take one big bite. Like they, they get everything together and everything influences everything. I believe that languages is one of, if not the most influential part of that mix, um, because it's the, Is the part that you form a meaningful relationship with. But I believe that it all influences every other part. So I think you have to come at it from a holistic point of view. I believe that language has real, genuine power to influence culture and cultural change within your people, within your business, which then impacts the consumers who they interact with and with the the wider world. And I believe that that happens through the the way that we speak, not even necessarily what we say a lot of the time, but the, the way we say it. And when I explained this, this ethos to Joe Hale at Dragon Rouge, London, he got quite excited about the opportunity there and, and said, you know, this role doesn't feel like a creative director of language role. It feels like a like a broader offering. And um, they, they actually came to me and said, how do you feel about the title, Head of Voice? And I was like, I mean, it sounds cool, but what is it? <laughs> and they said, well, it, it's kind of what you're already doing and what you're already thinking. And then some, it can be what you want it to be. So I was in that role at at Dragon Rouge and when Laura approached me Laura Jordan-Bambach who's our CCO and president at Gray London she'd she'd heard about me again through some connections in the industry and was curious about this role and wanted to hear more about it and hear hear more about me she was I think originally looking for a head of copy and I explained to her more about what I did this specialism in tone of voice and brand voice and how that can you know make sense of things like strategy that often feels a little bit impenetrable And it can kind of be the bridging space. And, you know, my belief that good creative when it comes to to advertising is is all well and good, but it should feel like good creative that could only come from that brand, not just good, you know, a a good banking advert, I believe is at its best when it feels like it could only ever come from that one specific bank. That's how you get higher brand attribution. That's how you build a a more loyal audience base. And when I talked about all of these different things, she said, i think I think we'd love to have you here at, at Gray we'd love you to consider a position as head of voice here and I was quite thrown and it was a, it was in the pandemic, so it was a team call and I remember saying to her, laura, I don't have a case of can Lion like just out of shop like i've i've never i've never done this before I haven't run like you know fifty successful christmas campaigns i've never i've never done advertising I'm very much in branding I've been branding in digital i've been branding and packaging, but I've never done advertising and Laura was relatively fresh into the role at Grey London at the time, and she was shaking things up a lot. And she said, "That's that's why we want you because you're going to look at things differently. You're going to do things differently, and we 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 want that that newness and that difference of perspective. We we talk at Grey London about and um, the way we the way we do famously effective ideas is through the collision of different different mindsets, different perspectives, different lived experiences, different roles, different skill sets, and different ways of thinking." and she really felt like having someone come from the branding space into advertising would help bring that that different way of thinking about things and um, I was a bit nervous but like I said I'm always curious I always want to try something new so I thought well if it doesn't work I'll leave in a year <laughs> yeah. I'm very glad I that the it. it's working really well I'm really really happy here and yeah I think I think the business is is gaining a lot from the rock
0: yeah and that's look we argue about this on the publisher side, right? So whether it's out of home, whether it's CTV, online, mobile, social, podcast. So even on the buying side, there's a bit of back and forth and a a bit of rub because it's, the agencies basically all competing against each other for ad dollars for the medium. But to your point, consumers like you and I, if we take off our advertising agency hats, they really don't care. It's how do you meet me at what point of day? And I think that data has really helped change that perspective. But to your point, like before you moved over to gray and the previous agency, it really is, you know, I, I think about, I'm a, I'm a big sneaker head. I'm a big Apple guy is the box. The packaging looks exactly the same as an out of home ad, as a, an ad that pops Mm -hmm. up on a a podcast. There is consistency because we, as consumers, there's Mm -hmm. this gray area, no pun with the, the agency, but there's really is this gray area that exists to where, from purchase to packaging to advertising, it's all the same to us. It if you're gonna yeah. if I'm a if I'm an Audi fan and I love my Q7, that advertising mix should be the same as when I go get a oil change and tire rotation at the dealership. I want to feel and experience that all the way to if I'm watching a Formula One race and I'm watching the Audi driver. It all feels the same to me, and yeah. I have that brand loyalty. And I think that that's. That's I, I would say that's why you have so many great awards and recognitions is because the voice and the tone from product to branding to packaging to experience all the way to the ad side, it's all the same.
1: Yeah, I think that I always say when I'm training new writers or, or talking to anyone kind of up and coming in the industry, that the, the best writers are the best empaths because you should be able to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're, you're writing to. and When we, exactly as you say, when we step out of here, when we take off our advertiser's hat, it's it's literally the second you leave the office. Like, you walk onto the street, and I'm in London, so, you know, a double-decker bus goes past with an advert on the side of it. I don't think about, I wonder what out-of-home agency took care of that, and whether they connected to the digital agency, who'd done the web banners. And I wonder if the the Spotify pre-roll radio ads were linked. Like, no, I consume one brand, and that's how I interact with it and, and I should feel the same. I often talk about um when it comes to language, I am usually most interested in the the non sexy bits. Mm-hmm. If you ask someone their favorite their favorite brands, they'll go, Oh, you know, it's it's Apple because I love their advertising on the tube and I and I love their packaging and their this and that. And it's all of the sexy bits. But I wanna know what their cookies policy says. Mm-hmm. I wanna know how they're writing in the places where they think no one's looking. That's for me where you truly find out who a brand is and what their identity is. I want to know how they speak to me when I complain because there's something faulty in the battery life of my iPhone. I wanna know how you interact with me then. I wanna know what your automatic response is, saying that I've got to wait twenty four hours to get a reply from you, because that is where the truth of your brand is. I just I just did a talk recently from DNAD D New Blood and I I described it to them as it's the difference between someone's dating profile and like actually being in a relationship with them. So like their dating profile can tell you all kinds of wonderful stuff to pull you in. And that, that's essentially our advertising is our dating profiles. But once you're actually in a relationship with it, what is, what is that brand saying to you when something's gone wrong, when you need help? You know, what, what is that brand saying to you there and in that space when you need reassurance, when you're concerned, Nah, and I feel like we saw a lot of that during the pandemic, at the start of the pandemic, when brands are having to reassure us all the time. We we just haven't thought about those things, or a lot of people haven't thought about those touch points before. That, for me, is where you really find out who a brand is, and if you want to know whether your brand is authentic and, and how they're going to treat you when things go wrong or, or, or aren't perfect, have a look at their cookies policy. See if they care about that. If they care about their cookies policy. They'll probably care about you.
0: Yeah, and you can... I- and to extrapolate a little bit more on that, I mean, I recently spoke at a, a privacy privacy and advertising and we talked a bit about it and it was myself and a lawyer on stage. And of course, that's always a dicey situation, but you're, you're spot on. <laughs> like the brands, you could easily copy and paste that nonsense cookie policy that pops up on the bottom of the web banner. And it's like, blah, blah, blah. But when you really engage and have fun, there's a one of my favorite B2C brands, um, we've had the the founder, Stephen Lee from Gooder on our podcast. It's all spoken through a flamingo, and his name is Carl, mm-hmm. and he'll send you text messages. I actually got a new one today, and he'll send you a text, and it's about a new sunglass brand that dropped. And the language bee is so hilarious, and they have fun with it. Yeah. If you go to their website, the cookie policy is hysterical if you get to it and read it. There's a, yeah. there's a hotel in Vegas. I won't call it the name, but the cookie policy is kind of fun. It's like, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's kind of like, you know, you wouldn't want your mom to look at what's under your bed at when you were a 12 year old boy, you <laughs> would make sure you, you read through this box. So it's really kind of to your point, tone is, can be fun and can really yeah. kind of help show show off that brand a good bit. And otherwise you can just kind of be boring and be like, well, this is this. Mm-hmm. And, just click it. Nobody's going to read it, and legal is going to be fine. But it, it's but
1: that's so- how you lose your competitive edge. Yes. right. We live in a world where I I have a hundred different choices for what mobile phone I want. Now, realistically, uh, everyone I know who uses uh, Apple and I use Apple across across most things. But there's something really interesting about iPhone users where they get quite snobby. I use a Google Pixel phone, and I like my Google Pixel phone, but everyone loves to hate on an Android, phone right? But um. So, you know, there's probably only one acceptable phone to use, but I do have a choice of like a hundred different phone brands that I could use. Why should I pick yours? I have a choice of, if I go to any city, I have a choice of all of the different hotels I could stay in, plus Airbnbs. Why should I stay in your hotel? And these are the things that give you the edge. When there's no cost competitive advantage, when there's no location competitive advantage, because you're on a, you know... You're, you're looking for even just a hotel to stay at the night before by the airport, mm-hmm. and there are four different brands of hotel all within, like, you know, a few a few meters of each other, and they all cost around the same price. Mm-hmm. How are you going to pick? It's those small yeah. things that make you go, Oh, and I remember when I stayed in Premier Inn, they had a really funny little card case that your room key came in, and that was quite cool. And they had a nice little badge on the pillow to tell you whether it was soft or have. Hey, yeah, we'll go for that because that was nice. Mm-hmm. It's yep. those the non-sexy places that you build brand loyalty to and those are the things that we tell each other when we as consumers talk to each other about this great brand experience I had consumers don't think like we do in terms of testing of like on a ring of 1 to 5 how likely are you to recommend this credit card comparison service no I'm not sitting down with you at dinner Ian and being like so Ian tell me about the latest credit card comparison website you've used and how you'd rate it on a scale of 1 we don't do that but what, what you will do is though I just had this text message from 2 c brand from a flamingo named Carl, and it was really funny. You should read it. Yeah, like that's how we build brand connections.
0: So Gray Gray represents some massive brands and agencies. So I want to, I, I really want to kind of get deep into this. It's not always unicorns and rainbows, especially your role, right? Brands have a very specific tone that they come to, and they're like, "This is our tone. This is who we we are. This is who we want to be portrayed as." Let let's go into how how gray is a le- little bit different, and specifically your team, how you guys make the brands a little bit uncomfortable, and you say, "Look, you've hired us. Let's talk deeper about who really is your art audience. How do you include mm. certain um, communities into your branding that currently today?" you know, I saw a fantastic side-by-side and it was like the US family in 1963. And it was the mom in the kitchen with like 700 pancakes and the beautiful bacon and all this stuff. And the dad was off to work reading the newspaper in his hand. And then, you know, the girl had pigtails and the boy was all, and they all looked alike. And then today you fast forward and it was like what today's family was. And it was like, dad's on an iPhone. Um, other dad is cooking breakfast for him, running out the door. So kind of let's go a little bit deeper into that and kind of how Gray approaches it, how specifically B and your team approach voice and and kind of the the framework up front that you let brands know.
1: Yeah, so um I mentioned that we at Grey London talk about the collision of difference and the importance of that. We take its role for creativity really seriously. And one of the um I guess builds I've had on the agency since since joining is around our um, how we foster a relationship with our clients with diversity and inclusion, equity and representation at the heart of it. How we have a positive space to talk about that because you know we um, I mentioned earlier about the power that we have within our industry. I'm really I'm really passionate about that. That we what I think people who have been in our industry for a long time often forget. Or, or, often take for granted as, as an industry as a whole, we've done this, is that we have genuine power over the rest of the world. We have genuine power over what people see as normal, as desirable, as aspirational, as the status quo. We expose people to stories and ways of life that, you know, they either have seen before or they haven't seen before, but that influences how they feel about certain demographics. We, we have genuine power and influence over this stuff. And um, you know we we have a duty to take that um, power seriously and and treat it conscientiously. So so we we've always had a commitment at Gray to telling different stories and, and finding that the creativity in the difference and believing that that is where that the best the best work comes from. The difficulty that we have is that our industry as a whole has had a very particular way of doing things, and that family of you know the the American family in the 1960s, you know. The truth is, is that what every American family looked like in 1960? No, but that's every family that we saw on television mm-hmm. in 1960, in the media. The truth is, there were still two dads in 1960. There were, you know, multiracial relationships in 1960. There were, you know, single-parent families. There were families with no kids. with just, you know, dogs or cats, whatever. Like, we've always had difference. We just haven't seen it. There's a great um, uh, quote in Lizzo's, Uh, Emmy acceptance speech where she talks about um, how proud she is of the people on the stage with her and and the stories that they've told. And she says in her acceptance speech, um, their stories aren't even that unique. It's just that we don't hear them. Mm -hmm. And that I think is, is so powerful because when we talk about diversity, we think of it as this really unique and different thing. And it it isn't, it's just what we haven't seen. It's Mm -hmm. just what we're not listening to. So we have a heritage within our industry of not showing these stories. And so, what comes with that? When you don't show different types of stories, when you only show one type of family, one type of story, you end up with a lot of data that backs up the success rates of that kind of story, which means that to deviate from that suddenly feels quite risky because we you know for certain that a nuclear household in an advert to sell, you know, butter alternative spread a nuclear family with uh, one mum and one dad and and three happy, smiling kids and them all being, you know, of a certain skin tone and living in a certain type of household, we know that 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 sells really well because we have a lot of data to back it up. We don't have as much data for the stories that we don't see so it can feel risky. So when I joined Grey London as, as passionate as we were about telling these different stories, we'd sometimes get into difficult conversations at difficult points in the process with our clients where we'd be pushing or a certain type of representation of perspective or story to be told. And the clients were nervous and they wanted to go with what they knew would work. And it meant that our conversations about diversity often happened at a crunch point. They happened at a point where we didn't have the luxury of time because we had deadlines that we had to meet. We didn't have the, the luxury of a kind of calm and open-minded space. We were, you know, up against it. So we now have at Grey London a diversity equity inclusion and representation charter which is a part of our client contract it's something that we use when we when we pitch for new work it's one of the first things that we that we show people and it's a conversation that we've had with all of our clients we we sat them down and said look we've got this really great piece of work this this charter that we use that influences the way we create work at gray and the way we run our production shoots and the way we measure our, our work and you know the truth is that all of our clients have diversity and i kpis within their business is, is something that we have to respond to in the pictures that we do we have to show what we are doing to a diversity of many different kinds we know that our clients care about it it's just that on the day-to-day it can often feel a bit fraught. so we start this conversation in a really positive space we go look at all of the opportunities that there are for creative brilliance and for more business success by engaging different audiences and we have it in a space where there is room to breathe, where there's room to celebrate it, where there's room to engage and get excited. And we have these exciting conversations and the, the clients sign up to it. It's, it's part of your agreement to work with us. If you want our creativity, then you accept our, our, way of, our way of approaching it. And it means that when we get to that crunch point later on in the process where a client gets nervous, we can go back to that conversation that we had in a more positive space. It's not so fraught and we can go... Hey, you remember when we talked about the charter and suddenly it's a more productive conversation and we can reassure them and they've got that um, kind of context from previous conversations. So we're able to have much, much, much more positive conversations with our clients. We're able to get to better outcomes that they feel comfortable with and, and excited about and that our team feel really infused and kind of charged up about. When it comes to the tone of speaking to those different audiences, we have within our charter really clear guidance on, on how we create work. And that charter we built with community representatives from different communities. One of the things that um, I I've, I've work with a team on this charter, and, and we've always been really conscious of um, the fact that we, we all have our own lived experiences. I'm a, I'm a queer woman. Um, You know, that gives me a certain set of lived experiences, but I am not an expert in everything. I don't represent the entire community. My experience as a queer cis woman is different to that of a trans woman. It's also different to that of a person of color. It's also different to that of a disabled person, of a neurodivergent person. And so it was very important to us that we didn't approach this with an arrogance that we believe we know everything. So we got different third-party experts in to, to consult with us and help us make sure that this piece of work really serve these many different communities and so when it comes to making sure that our tone is appropriate and then we're speaking to these communities in appropriate ways we have a we have a guiding rule in our charter that um is a phrase coined by the disabled community that goes nothing about us without us so we engage the community groups who we are representing whose stories we are telling we make sure that they are an integral part of the process and that they feel that it's appropriate to who they are and where they come from and but it feels right to serve those communities in
0: the best way possible. Yeah, and that, that's a lot, and it it's so powerful. When you take a step back, I think what people don't realize is that a brand and its tone, creative, and the agency that represents all of that, it does have a lasting impact on society, and it does directly impact who purchases the brands. And I, I, I believe that there's this beautiful fine balance to where there is this way that you represent a brand. But I do want to talk about this because you and I discussed it at length when we were prepping as well. It is interesting how brands quickly, quickly, you know, we have a month. I blame Hallmark for all of this, but we have a month for everything. And when it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's like, holy shit, you can't watch an NFL American football game uh, without Mm -hmm. seeing everyone in pink. You can't see anyone's Instagram brands page without pink all over it. Uh, Pride Month comes across everyone quickly Mm -hmm. jumps to the rainbow and they're posting and you're just like, all right, we all know on the 31st of this month, that brand's going to switch to something else. Mm -hmm. And and I'll I'll say it very bluntly. Like consumers have become very like authentic about this. We're like, it doesn't have to be this fear of like, we're going to throw it all at you in your face that, you know, it's breast cancer awareness month or it's childhood you know, obesity month, it's like mm-hmm. just year round, let's talk about this. Let's mm-hmm. be a brand image and really talk about what society looks like today. Cause to your point in the 1960s, there were a wide variety of, of families that existed. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't even realize the impact that people in your role have. And it, you know, Gray's very fortunate in the brands that you represent are very blessed to be able to have someone in, in your role that does think a bit wider and broader.
1: Yeah, and I think that you've touched on something that I that I talk to my clients about a lot, which is that our our consumers now expect more. They expect more, and they interrogate more. And we we see through the bullshit like we just do. And the rainbow washing that comes with Pride Month can lead to some really funny stuff. Uh, there were lots of really funny like meme style jokes going around in Pride Month, mocking the the ridiculous like partnerships of you know like I'm sponsoring there was one I read that I'm a lesbian I'm used to not knowing when something's a date So this Pride Month I'm partnering with Microsoft Excel um, and it was it was hilarious and, and our whole community was like yes that's funny because, it, because it's ridiculous these, these partnerships of where they come from and I think that um, you know there's this there's this need to be seen to be doing something you know we've got, we've got to be seen to be doing something but your consumers demand more than something, because I'm, you know, Pride Month is is exciting, and it's important, and Pride itself is is a protest more than a party, or it always has been, Um, but I need Pride, and I need support the other 11 months of the year as well, Mm -hmm. because I'm queer year-round, and the issues that me and my community face, we face year-round, so if you... Forget about that once June is over. What does that really say about your commitment to us? One of the things that I often talk about is that if you're going to profit off of a community, you need to find a way to serve that community. Yes. You are going to profit off of the disposable income of the LGBTQIA community. What are you doing to actually serve it as a community? And it is the same with the disabled community. If you're going to profit off of the disabled community by showing how inclusive you are as a brand by having a disabled person in your advert, can that disabled community, people whether whether they're in wheelchairs, or they're visually impaired or whatever it may be, can they actually buy from your brand? Are your shops accessible? There is one of my friends is non binary and they um they got really frustrated at um I probably shouldn't say the name of the brand, but a very well known sports brand, let's call them, who had an advert recently that featured Uh, The LGBTQIA plus community and people with many different gender identities and and very intentional in their featuring of non-binary people using non-binary people who are quite well known in the community in their advert. And my friend is is non-binary and they were excited to to go and buy some clothes from this sports brand and they went into the big flagship store for that sports brand in in Oxford Street in London and they picked up this great jumpsuit. And they wanted to try it on. And they happened to be on the floor that I guess had more women. I'm using air quotes. But I guess this podcast I can't do that. Uh, Women's clothes. And they went to, to go into the changing rooms, which were all individual, individual changing rooms. You know, it's an individual door. It's like you're walking into a cupboard, basically. You know, there's no kind of communal area. They went to go and try it on. And um, the member of staff there said, I'm sorry, this is women only. You can't try that on here. And... My friend, who is non-binary, was not comfortable going to the men's floor. You know, we we are the entire LGBTQIA plus community is is at risk of violence a lot of the time, but particularly if you are gender non-conforming in any kind of way. And they didn't feel safe going to the to the air quotes men's floor. And it was just this uncomfortable thing of well, you've used my community to profit, mm-hmm. you've sold to my community. Many of my community would have bought from you online now. But I come into your actual store in person and there's no space for me and you tell me that I'm not allowed here. How, how can that be right? How can those two things marry up? So, so I often talk about if you're going to profit off of a community through the ripple effects of, of representing that community or from that community disposable income directly, you need to serve that community. That community needs to be able to, to buy from you at a bare minimum. The bare minimum. We need to be able to buy your product and you need to support us in the spaces that, that, we, that we need support. You know, don't just show up to the party, show up to the protest. Don't slap a rainbow on it in June, but then go quiet when we're petitioning for basic human rights. That is just entirely inauthentic. And what I think a lot of people then respond to that with is, well, well we can't fight every fight. We're a brand, we're a business. And I understand that. We're a brand and we're a business. And we, we first and foremost exist to sell X make money off of X. We can't be here for every single social justice fight. And you're right. You're right. You don't exist to be a social justice warrior. You exist to be a business and to make profit for your shareholders and ideally to serve the community. But we're in a capitalistic society. You're here to to answer a need and to make profit. You can't be a social justice warrior for everything. So stop trying. Mm -hmm. Pick the cause that is most relevant to your brand. If you are a sports brand and your brand platform is a sports is for everyone, no matter who you are, and you decide that the community that best reflects that are the LGBTQIA plus community, then go hard in your support on them. No one's, well, I certainly would, would hope that no one's going to turn around and go, but what are you doing for childhood leukemia? Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, whoa, 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 you know, I'm not saying that childhood leukemia isn't important. It is incredibly important. But maybe why don't we leave that up to, I don't know, for example, Lego, who actually have a platform that engages with children and play. Like, that's maybe the space that you go hard on. I'm not saying you can't support other communities in acts of solidarity, but don't don't pretend to be something you're not. Choose the area that is most appropriate for you to commit and properly commit, properly serve. That is how you do it authentically. And that's what our audiences are looking
0: for. Yeah, and I think that's key. Look, it, it happens in all all aspects of culture and society. But to your, your earlier point, B, I I think so many people are, just aren't used to it because visually they don't see it. Mm-hmm. Now, I pride mm-hmm. Nike in seven. They came up with this, with the seven different uh, Indian tribes in the US. And they have, and they do give back to the community. They give back to the athletes and all of these different... Um, you know, Choctaw, Cherokee, and Sioux, and so many other tribes that exist still in the U.S., and they, they are providing basketball courts, they're providing baseball courts, and it it's really, it just becomes this, understand your audience, understand what society looks like today, what culture looks like today, even what the core family looks like today, and begin mm-hmm. to weave it mm-hmm. in, like, you know, yeah. we all have friends, I'm assuming you have a handful of straight friends. You have a handful of friends that you, you may have some Irish friends, you know, it's really just taking a step back as a brand and just being like, look at, look at everyone. We are yeah. this beautiful world that, that is multicultural, multi-diverse, you know, multi-genders and so on. And it's just like, you have such a powerful role. And I, I know, cause I can, the two times we've spoken, I can feel the passion through, through our zoom calls you're in a wonderful position B, because you get to help tell that story. You get to put brands in an uncomfortable situation where it shouldn't be uncomfortable, but you have the ability to kind of help shape culture and to help tell that story. So kind of as we wrap up the podcast here, cause I, I could speak to you forever about this and I'm, I'm going to highly encourage our listeners to uh, follow you on LinkedIn, but also you have a spectacular microsite. And so kind of as we wrap up here, you know, we have a lot of creative folks that listen to this podcast. We have a lot of digital native agencies, a lot of out-of-home folks. What, what would be kind of your lasting message to everyone as it relates to the ad world and as it relates to having a, a, a better voice in our ad world?
1: I think the key thing is, is the way that we, the way we think about the questions that we're asked and the way that we formulate our answers and the questions that we ask back we're so used to relying on, on what we know and what we've done and I feel like in society as individuals we're not allowed a lot of room for I don't know. It's seen as you know, reflecting quite poorly on us if we don't know the answer to something and that I think leads people to, to stick with what they've done before what they know, what they've got proof for and and so when you suggest something different often the default is no that won't work because Pause, and I'm going to figure out why it won't work now. As opposed to, you know, if someone suggests doing something differently, before going, no, 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 no. Because take a breath to go, huh? Huh? Okay. But give it a moment. Give it a moment. And I think that that's that's a big difference in a lot of what I try to do when I when I have conversations with clients and with creative teams is to almost hold off on what my gut reaction is to anything and just go, let's just think about it. And if you don't know the answer to something, when someone says, you know, what is the best way to to approach this or or to to represent this community? If you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. But someone will. So let's go and find them. We we have in um, a team that I work with here who, who created the charter and support our clients with it. And our mantra is progression over perception. And so what comes with that is our clients and our, and our client teams at gray come to our team a lot for advice and for guidance and for our expertise. And there, there is a lot that we could, that we can deliver in that space because we talk about it and we, and we can, and we immerse ourselves in it so much. But there is also a lot of spaces where I go, I don't know. I don't know, but I, but I know someone who does know and I, and I know where we can find it out. And that, that humility create authentic ideas, authentic experiences and, and, you know, authentic connections with different communities. And I think it's, it's the same for, you know, creative work and creative ideas. And when we're, when we're coming up with doing something a little bit different, it's okay not to know. Mm-hmm. There has to be a first time for everything. And as long as you go with an open mindset, a curious mindset, well, let's see. Let's see, let's think about it. Let's run a little thought experiment as a group. What if we did that? Mm-hmm. What, what could happen next? And, and kind of process it in that open-minded way. I think that is where you get better creativity and happier teams. We need to embrace a different way of doing things because the way that things have always been done is dead. We've seen it and see, see the nerves as excitement. Like yeah. it's potential. It is nerve-wracking yeah. to do something different. I know it is, but it's also, you know, no risk, no reward. Right.
0: I love it. B. you are a (laughs) fascinating, fantastic human. Um, This has been a treat for me and I know our listeners as well. Keep challenging the brands that you represent, keep changing the culture and keep challenging the norm. and, And thank you so much. And we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.